Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. A better business starts with planning for profit. Download our free course, Profit for Small Firm Architects, at entrearchitect.com slash free course. It's free. You're listening to Entree Architect Podcast. And this is episode 149. Welcome back to the Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark Arlapage, and this is the podcast dedicated to a successful life as a small firm architect. Whether you have plans to someday start your own firm, whether you're in the process of launching a startup, or you might be an experienced small firm architect, just trying to make a difference, this podcast is for you. My goal is to inspire you to build a better business so that you may pursue your purpose with passion and live the life of your dreams. A question often raised at the Free Entree Architect Facebook group, as well as inside at Entree Architect Academy, is how how do we protect our designs? How do we deter a client from, from overextending their license to our ideas and using our designs beyond their, initial, their initially intended and maybe contractually bound use? As creatives, how do we protect our creativity? This week at Entree Architect Podcast, copyright protection for architects with Abe Cohn of Howard M. Cohn. Associates. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is sponsored by True Style, the leader in high end residential interior doors. Learn more at truestyle.com 
and Tanglewood Conservatories, combining the romanticism of 19th century glass architecture with state-of-the-art technology of today. Learn more at tanglewoodconservatories.com. Abe Cohn, welcome to the Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. It's great having you here. I'm, I'm really happy that you reached out to us here at Entree Architect. Um, you are the Chief Operations Officer at Howard M. Cohn & Associates, which is a law firm specializing in intellectual property law based in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, and, you know, this is a question that comes up often. These are questions that come up often in the Entree Architect community. Uh, you know, about copyright and patents and, and trademarks and the differences in those kind of things. And so this, I'm so happy that you reached out to us uh, to have you on the show so you can a- ask us, uh, answer some of the questions that we might have about that. So uh, I appreciate you for being here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's such an interesting discussion. Intellectual property is one of the more exotic parts of law. And as it pertains to entrepreneurs and certainly architecture, it, it just gets all that more interesting. So uh, I'm really thrilled to be here and kind of go through all of this stuff. Great, great. We'll get into that in a couple of minutes. But I'd love to do is start off with uh, the way we start off all our guests is to just give, give us a little bit of a background on you, sort of uh, who you are, where you came from and how you got to where you are now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, my name is Abe Cohn. I'm the chief operating officer of Howard M. Conan Associates. Um, you know, I've always been interested in, in entrepreneurship. Um, and of course, what's fascinating about being part of an intellectual property law firm is that we're dealing with people with novel ideas, new inventions, creative ideas. Um, and working in this type of law allows us and me specifically to interact with so many different people in so many different areas um, that, that all kind of brings something new and unique. So, um, you know, as, as someone who's an entrepreneur myself, you know, I started a tech company about six years ago, um, which, which of course involved a great deal of intellectual property law. Um, and, and we'll get into kind of what parts of intellectual property law are implicated. Um, but, you know, it, it was just a natural fit for me to kind of move into this sector and, and be more involved um, on the legal side of things. Well, that's that's awesome, and and um, so it's it's like I said, I'm really happy that you're here. I'd like to to maybe focus our conversation today um, on maybe copyright law. We can talk about you know trademarks and and patents as well. I'd like to, maybe we'd start off with with sort of some some really really basic information just to clarify what's the difference between or among uh, copyright and trademarks and patents. What what are those three? entities and and uh, and how do they work at a really basic level yeah absolutely so you know we have this broad category of intellectual property so intellectual property um is all of those intangible at least in the beginning stages but but the intangibles involved in a new idea a new creation a new something a novel something that a person is bringing forth into the marketplace and depending on what that thing is they would turn to different areas of intellectual property so the three areas that we just talked about are patents copyrights and trademarks so i'll just give you a quick brief example of what each one is so the listeners can get kind of a a real world sense um, of of what's going on here so imagine that you were to walk into a shoe store and you saw a swoosh on a shoe 
Okay. You would immediately recognize that shoe as being a product of the Nike Corporation. And so what is it that gave you that indication? It's the swoosh. And so that is precisely what a trademark is. It is a mark that serves as a source identifier for a good or service. So when you see that mark, you know what you know where it came from. Okay. Um, now imagine if you were to walk into a um, a, a car shop and, and a brand new Lamborghini was displayed and you opened up the engine and, or you opened up the hood and, and you saw some gorgeous engine, you know, what, how to go about thinking about that. Clearly it's almost a, a magical creation that, that somebody has invested a lot of time, money and effort into. Um, so, you know, how do we go about protecting that person's rights to that creation, to that novel creation, which is this new engine. And to do that, we use a patent. Patents protect pro, uh, novel processes, um, you know, new tangible inventions, things that people are building. And, and that's what a patent does, again, on, on a very broad level. Right. Yep. Um, and, and then finally, copyrights serve to protect um, all sorts of creative manifestations. Um, so, you know, you open up the new Harry Potter book and, and you see J.K. Rowling has produced just a masterpiece of a story. You know, clearly it wouldn't be right for someone to go and just copy J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter stories. So, so what does she do? She turns to copyright law, which protects her novel, in this case, literary work, and ensures that other people cannot use it and, and basically steal her, her brilliant ideas. Excellent. I, and I'd like to get into copyright mostly because I think that's probably the, the primary concern of architects. Obviously, patents potentially and trademarks certainly as business people. But I think copyright specifically, because we are creatives um, and we are creating unique uh, uh, drawings and designs, uh, let's mm. let's start there. But before we get into copyright, I, I just wanted to ask you one other question. I've heard the term uh -huh. service marks. And what's the difference yeah. between a service mark and a trademark? Sure. So uh, on a strictly legal level, there really is no difference between a service mark and a trademark. But in the example that we used earlier, a trademark is for a good. The mark is being attached to a certain product and then disseminated throughout the marketplace. A service mark is a mark that's attached to a service. And so you can imagine that an accounting firm or any sort of firm that's offering um, a variety of, of services, not products, would get a service mark. But but effectively, and for all intents and purposes, there really is not a, a big difference. Okay, so architects as service providers would, would technically be be service marking their their logos. Yeah. Okay. Uh, right, but of, of course the the process really is the is, same. Is effectively the same. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, so let's get into copyright itself from from an architect's point of view, a practicing architect. How are we protected by copyright law? Right. So you know, architects really would have claims to different sorts of copyrights. Um, they may very well claim copyright on the actual drawings, the designs of the buildings or whatever it is might be. Um, and that's kind of traditional copyright law. And then interestingly, in 1990, the United States um, Congress packed what's called the Architectural Works Copyright Protection Act. And, and this was new. Again, this was, what, 1990, so um, about 26 years ago. But, but the idea here was to expand the scope of what it is that architects can actually copy. So, you know, I think it would be worthwhile to just read 
a, a couple of sentences of, of what the act says um, to, to get a, a real sense of what it is that, that's being covered. So uh, according to the act, the design of a building as embodied in any tangible medium expression, including a building, architectural plans, or drawings. The work itself, yeah, and, and the work itself includes the overall form as well as the arrangement and composition of spaces and elements in the design, but does not include individual standard features. Okay, so, you know, what, what's going on here? You know, generally with copyright law, um, well, using again that, that Harry Potter example, um, you can imagine just getting a right to, uh, you know, many different parts of that Harry, Harry Potter story. But, but what this act does is not only cover the actual plans or the drawings, but now specifically the building too. So imagine if you were a brilliant architect and you're kind of designing a new novel way to lay out a lobby of a building with different pieces and, and how they interact with each other. You can get a copyright on that layout. That's, and, and this that's, is an important that, principle. Yeah, that's very interesting that not only are, are our drawings, and they are, our drawings are copyrighted as soon as they're created, right? They're protected. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, but, in a certain way. Yeah, right. This and we is can, an important point. Yeah, yeah. We, we can get into that. I just wanted to clarify yeah. that, that yeah. I wanted to reiterate what you just said about buildings, because that's not something I didn't realize, that if we design a unique building, um, that building design, whether it's on a drawing or not, if we've created it um, and we have documents that show that it's been our design, uh, that's our copyright as well. That's very interesting. Yeah, and, and critically, and this isn't the last sentence of what I read, does not include individual standard features. Right. So, so, so the idea here is that you cannot get a copyright on the door, but you could get a copyright on the door as it relates to some of the other features. And so what copyright is doing here is ensuring that your creative work is in fact creative and novel by looking to how each of the composite features interacts with the adjacent features. Very interesting. And so Let's uh, sort of expand that idea a little bit. Um, and this is this is probably something that's not protected by copyright um, is if we're designing a set of drawings uh, for a standard colonial house that's been replicated millions of times throughout the United mm. States. Mm. What what if what is copyright um, protected by copyright in that case, if anything? Right. Okay. So in order to answer that question, let's just go back and, and kind of reiterate what it means to have a copyright. Works that are copy copyrightable, um, they, they have to be in concrete form. So in this case, we have those plans. And, and they have to be substantially unique enough to, to earn copyright privileges. So it could very well be that a part of what you're designing is copyrightable, while a different part is not copyrightable. Okay. So imagine in your example, certain features of this Victoria era styled house are, are not unique to, to you. You didn't come up with that design. It's been around for hundreds of years, I would imagine. But it could very well be that how you go about organizing those individual pieces and, and what you do with them to create a new novel approach, that is the totality of those things is what is ultimately copyrightable, not necessarily its individual parts. Okay, very interesting. So now let's get into the process. You were about to say something and I interrupted you. Let's talk about oh, okay. the, the process of copyright. Yeah, well, you know, one thing to keep in mind is that even though it's true that the, the moment you put down some, you know, your, your unique um, 
enterprise, let's call it, you know, your unique thing, as soon as you put it down, it does gain a preliminary set of rights. That's true. You do have a copyright on it at that moment, but you cannot enforce your copyright and stop someone from using it until you actually register it with the copyright office. And that's an important distinction. Yes, it's true. The moment you do it, you have a copyright, but you can't enforce that copyright or really take it to court in any meaningful way until you register it. So, if, so if we do a set of drawings and we have okay. have the copyright notice right on the drawings, uh, but mm -hmm. we but we don't file every set of drawings that we've done to the copyright office, right. um, they are technically copyrighted, but they're not very easily protected. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. So, so the distinction here really is, so you know, all of these things—copyrights, patents, trademarks—I mean, all of, all they are ultimately is a license to sue. You say that you have this thing first. These mark the copyright, the patent, the trademark. The the legal um, distinction that that you get by registering them is having on paper a a notice from the government that's saying that I own this, and now you can go and stop someone from from stealing it. But you know, of course, all along you've always owned it. But you know, how do you prove that ownership? Right. How should how should the government go about? viewing your ownership, you know, and, and all of these types of things. So the benefit of registering your copyright, um, again, you, you've always owned it, but now what can you do with it? When you register with it, you gain more rights and you can seek more damages in court when you go to sue someone. Um, well, one of the more important ones is, of course, um, attorney's fees. If you do not register your copyright, you cannot sue for attorney's fees. Okay. Um, and similarly with other sorts of damages, you know, you really want to go about, it's important to register your copyright. There, there's no doubt about it. What's that process of, of, of registering? Yeah. So, you know, there's the old fashioned way of just submitting the forms through the mail. And then, of course, you can submit the forms online. Um, you know, I, I think it would be rather mundane to just go through what the mechanical processes, but you know, you get these forms, you submit the claims, um, the specimens of what it is that you're copywriting, and then let the copyright office take it from there. And that, that information is online somewhere? Sure. The copyright yep. office in those forms? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. So we'll, we'll actually have those linked up on the show notes. We'll have a link to the copyright office so they, they, they can yeah. do that. And so if, and so, I mean, we're not, it's probably impractical to, uh, register every set of drawings that we do, but maybe on those projects that are unique, that's something that you really do want to be protected. Um, those are the ones that we that we um, that we register. Do we have to submit full sets of drawings for that, or or is it can they be done digitally? Um, yeah, you know, each you know, because copyright law covers so many different types of areas of law uh, and and of, and of industries. I I wouldn't want to be on record as saying what the minimum or maximum number of things you would need to submit. But, right. but certainly that's something you need to consult an attorney about. Right. Okay. And, and of course, it goes without saying that, that nothing I'm saying now is legal advice. We're just sure. speaking exactly. uh, abstractly about it. It's okay. all just for information. Yep. Yeah. Um, and they should all you know, speak to their attorneys or, or to your group to, to, yeah. uh, to get uh, additional legal advice. Definitely. Hey, let's take a quick break here to say thank you to two of our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect, True Style Doors and Tanglewood Conservatories. Because as platform sponsors, 
These companies provide funding and support for our overall mission here to become an influential force in this profession of architecture for small firms, for you and me. They recognize the need for us small firms to build better businesses in order to be better architects. And both of these companies, they are run by great people. I've met them. They're passionate about their products and they want to share their knowledge with you. So go check them out and let them know that Entree Architect sent you. First off is TrueStyle. Have you, have you specified TrueStyle doors yet? Have you gone to their site at TrueStyle.com? You need to see these doors. If you are tired of getting callbacks from your clients saying that the doors have warped or that the, that the, the joints have split and the paint is, is showing the bare wood, TrueStyle doors, that doesn't happen. Over 400 made-to-order styles, TrueStyle offers premium MDF doors for painted application, and they have 20 standard species of wood for pretty much any style that you want. If you can dream up a style, they'll make it for you. True Style, driven by design. Check them out at truestyle.com and start designing your doors today. True Style, driven by design. Visit True Style, that's True Style, T-R-U-S-T-I-L-E.com and start designing your doors today. And Tanglewood Conservatories. Tanglewood Conservatories. You have to check out these amazing structures. Tanglewood Conservatories. Custom designs and builds. Authentic residential and commercial conservatories. Those are glass structures. Inspired by the romanticism of the 19th century glass structures that we see in, in history books. But built with state-of-the-art technology and master craftsmanship. These are amazing. If you're interested in designing a pool enclosure, a gazebo, a greenhouse, or a light-filled space, a client is looking for the most unique light-filled space, check out Tanglewood Conservatories, and they will help you create that masterpiece. You can design it, and you can work with their designers. They'll build it for you. Amazing structures, Tanglewood Conservatories. Anything else is just another room. For more information, visit TanglewoodConservatories.com. TanglewoodConservatories.com. And let them know that Entree Architect sent you. Um, so here's a common question I get through the Entree Architect community all the time. I hear this at least once a month. I, I, you know, I've designed a house or you know, I've designed a house maybe for, its, for a developer. Uh, I've done uh -huh. one design and they've built one house. Uh, and then, and then, let's say you find that um, there's two ways this could go. They could either come back to you and say, "Okay, we want to build 20 more of these. How do we handle that?" Uh, or yep. the other scenario is they go and build 20 more, and they've only paid you for one. Uh, what's right. the process of? How, you know, first of all, how how are, you know in that case, how are we protected? Um, I right. guess it depends on whether it was registered or not. And then, what's the process of? Um, you know, if, if you do feel like your copyright's been violated, what's the process of dealing with that? Yeah, absolutely. This is an excellent question. You, you know, one of the, to taking a moment uh, to, to look at this kind of from the builder's point of view or from the client's point of view, the intuition is that because I, the client, paid the architect to do something for me, I own that thing that they have just done for me, right? Right. <laughs> So that's kind of the intuition. The truth, of course, is that while the client has paid for an end result, he doesn't necessarily own the copyright on the thing that he has bought. So, so uh, uh, 
an easily um, accessible example to understand this point is to just consider the relationship between a wedding photographer and the newlywed couple. It's true that the newlywed couple hired the photographer to take pictures. But what exactly are they getting when they're paying for those pictures? They're absolutely getting the physical hard copy. You know, those are material things. But they're not getting the copyright ownership of those pictures. Those stay with um, the artist, or in this case, the photographer. Um, so uh, photographers, obviously, and, and moving back to our example, architects are not entirely comfortable um, relinquishing the rights to their copyrights. Why would they? They want to keep them. Um, and so what the client often does is require the artist or the photographer or the architect to release their rights to the copyright in the form of a work for hire form and, you know, per perhaps other types of forms, depending on how it's negotiated. But, but ultimately, if it's a savvy builder, a savvy contractor client, they're going to want to make sure that the architect does, in fact, release their rights to the copyright itself. Um, so getting back to your example, if you're an architect and you want to ensure that you're actually getting paid for 20 renditions of your design instead of just the initial one, you want to make sure that you negotiate those rights into the contract. And again, that's something that would be incredibly important um, to have done in advance and in tandem with a competent attorney. Right. So, so the drawings are instruments of service and the license of those instruments of service um, should be clarified in your agreement that it's for one house. Exactly. Um, and if, you want to make, right, right, exactly. And if, and if it's for more than that, then that needs to be clarified in the agreement as well, that, that you're going to have X number of, uh, of buildings built for that and you get compensated for those X number of buildings. Exactly. You know, all of these things are negotiated. All negotiations have pushback with competing interests from both sides. And, you know, it's your job as the architect to make sure that you represent your interests to the best of your abilities. And, and what 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 happens if, you know, you do all that and it's for one house and you you drive past that that development one day and there's 20 versions of that house that you've built that you've designed built? Um, what's mm -hmm. the what's the process of actually, um, you know, starting a, a, a suit against somebody who has violated your copyright. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, in this case, it's just kind of normal copyright law and copyright infringement. So what do you do? You hire an attorney. You have your attorney send a threatening email, uh, a letter, you know, uh, requesting a, a cease and desist, um, depending on this, where they are, if they're still building new buildings, you know, imagine if you sold, if you had one and the developer plans on putting a hundred, they've only done 20, you know, you have a cease and desist saying, Hey, you know, this is mine. Stop using it, you know? And then, uh, unfortunately, the, the sticking points in many of these legal suits is that the, the plaintiff, in this case, the architect, doesn't have the resources to really go after some of the, the bigger developers. And so we, we have this case where um, we're in this terrible situation where the, the big player is able to, to basically bully around the little player only because the little guy just doesn't have the money to, um, to, to see it through the end. So again, this is a reason to make sure your agreement is in the first place ironclad so there won't be too much litigation and the results will be fairly evident um, 
given the agreement. Um, but in, in any event, so, you know, the process is you send the cease and letter, cease and desist letter, you wait to see what the opposing party responds. How, how are they, you know, how are they rebutting your claim if they do it all? If you feel confident enough in your case and, and that you have the requisite resources to take them to court, you know, you do. And, you know, that's the process. You litigate it and, and you hope you win. Yeah. And so it really, it really is very important that you do the work up front, that your contracts totally. are, are, are set up so you're protected. And so if that, that case does happen, you just pull that contract out, you, you visit your attorney and say, hey, yep. I got a problem and here is the, uh, the solution. Here's the proof. Yep. Exactly. And you so know, one of the attorneys in, in our office, you know, he's, he's a little bit old school, but, but, you know, his mantra is show it to me in writing. Yeah. You know, make sure that every single thing is documented and in writing. Yeah, exactly. Abe, thank you very much for joining me here today. Is there is there anything else, in, you know, from from a copyright point of view that we should be uh, discussing and talking before we wrap up? Um, you know, I, I really think we covered everything. The, the most important thing to keep in mind is, as you said, it is fairly impractical to copyright everything that you're producing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, feel secure in the knowledge that as soon as you do produce that thing, it is, in fact, copyrightable. But but the things that you're most worried about, your your prized pieces of intellectual property, it's worthwhile to go ahead and register them with the government. Yeah. Very good advice. Um, and I'd love to have you come back and talk about trademarks one day. So maybe uh, we'll yeah. follow up and, and, and talk about trademarks because I think that's another thing just from the business side of you, you know, point of view. Um, I think it's really important that we understand trademarks and how, how they work. Uh, so yeah, maybe we'll have you come back and do that. Your website is conepatents.com. That's C-O-H-N patents.com. Uh, yep. You're on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Uh, at Facebook, you're uh, Howard M. Cone Associates. And Twitter, your cone patents, uh, and you're you have a great YouTube channel. You have a Thank full you. full load of YouTube uh, videos all about uh, intellectual property. So go visit YouTube and just search for Howard M. Cone Associates, uh, and you'll find that no problem. Uh, Abe, before we wrap up, I want to ask you my one final question that I ask everybody on the show here. Um, what is the one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? Yeah, absolutely. You know, th this question could be answered in so many different capacities. You know, just from uh, the entrepreneurial capacity, we covered so many different things about intellectual property. I, I really feel strongly that that small businesses, you know, people getting in the game or, or even, you know, one to, to five men shops that have been around for a while, you know, don't neglect being on the web. Get an amazing website. Get an amazing YouTube channel, an amazing Facebook um, platform, you know, get yourself out there, start speaking about what you're passionate uh, about and, and how people in your particular industry can, can kind of benefit from your services and, and, and just be involved and get excited. That's great advice. You know, coming from, from one service provider to thousands of service providers as architects, uh, I think that's great advice because I, I, I've been to conepatents.com. It's a great website. Um, your your social media is also well done. Um, I think it's a good example of a service provider providing information to their clients. So uh, thanks for, for that example and and for your answer to that question. And I appreciate you right. for being here today. Uh, and, I, and I appreciate you sharing your knowledge here at Entree Architect Podcast. Mark, this was, this was a real pleasure for me. I, I really enjoyed this all film. And if we can be of help to you or to anybody listening, 
please give us a call and, and we'd be happy to speak with you. Okay, so they could just go to conepatents.com and they could find you there? Yeah, absolutely. We have all of our contact information. Um, and if anyone wants to email me directly, I would be happy to extend this invitation to all of your listeners. It's just abe, A-B-E, at conepatents.com. All right, that's great. Thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Thanks, Mark. Complete show notes and a direct link to download this episode will be found at entrearchitect.com slash episode 149. Hey, and if you like this episode, if you like the Entree Architect podcast, I would love for you to give me a, a review over on iTunes. I haven't asked for this in a while, but I'd love for you to do this. EntreeArchitect.com slash iTunes. EntreeArchitect.com slash iTunes will get you there. Just click the open iTunes app. That'll take you to the app. And then you can just click a star, leave me a rating. That would help other architects find Entree Architect Podcast. And I would get some feedback on how I'm doing. Because I just keep doing these and I don't know whether you like them. I don't know whether you like what I'm doing with the interviews or whether you like when I do solo shows, whether you want want us to mix it up a little bit and do something different. The only way I know is if you give me a review. So go to entrearchitect.com slash iTunes and leave me a review. And don't forget to visit the website while you're online. Go over to entrearchitect.com slash free course and you can get a free course, a free digital course called Profit for Small Firm Architects. Hundreds of architects just like you have already taken that course. It's free. It's certainly not built to be free. It's it's uh, equally uh, valuable as all the other courses that we're, we're doing. But I want you to have the free course. And by doing that, you'll also be uh, signed up for our newsletter. And every week, I'll send you a newsletter and share some more valuable content. EntreeArchitect.com slash free course will get you the course and a free subscription. So do that. And then share that link with a friend. Let everybody know about the free course and the newsletter. I'd appreciate it. My name is Mark Arlapage. And I am an entrepreneur architect, and I encourage you to go build a better business so you can be a better architect. Love, learn, and share what you know. I appreciate you for being here. I appreciate you for listening, and I thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Have a great week. mentioned it to my family but in terms of telling people like oh yeah we're doing this i'm looking for projects you got anything i'm I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me dreaming of launching your own architecture firm well we'll buckle up for a wild ride with emerging the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm where do we begin we don't even know what type of business to formalize as is it an llc is it an llp like how are taxes i mean the list is astronomical season one featured founders jeffrey lexi and chris owners of level studio architecture are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio one evening 
stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us. Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> I did it, guys. Oh one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.